because he fed them and they liked being fed and they wanted that to continue and they wanted to make him a political king as well as I said as we ended last week Jesus is already king of kings and lord of lords and he had no intention of becoming a political king in this earthly kingdom then though that is coming in the future well verse 16 says and when evening was now come his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum and it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them and the sea arose by reason of a great wind I couldn't help but think about this great wind this great storm but we just sang about God's great faithfulness in the midst of great storms he continues his great faithfulness and so this wind great wind arose and blew they entered into a terrifying storm pray with me please father thank you for our time together now in the beautiful singing we pray now that you'll speak to us through your word and um, make it profitable for our growth and uh, uh, for whatever the need is in all of our lives we all face storms and there's a storm here teach us I pray in Jesus name amen amen true story young lady by the name of Brittany clicked on a a page on the internet that took her to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association she talked to the counselor there and said she was worried about COVID-19 she was afraid COVID-19 might take her life she was a mother and leave her children without a mother she was afraid COVID-19 might take the lives of one of her children the volunteer spoke to her about the only peace that is real in this world and lasting the peace that comes from Jesus Christ and she accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior that was here in the US in the Philippines a woman by the name of Grace was on a website sponsored by global media outreach and she says and I quote please help me not to worry about everything what's happening is very confusing the counselor explained to her that only Jesus can give peace and forgiveness she received Christ as her Lord and Savior a 17 year old young lady Domir talks to someone on a gospel website she says and I quote I'm not really a religious person but I don't know where else to turn but to God 45 minutes later Domir was a follower of the Lord Jesus and enrolled in a discipleship class someone has commented about Domir that her conversion fits the profile of typical internet salvation experiences people who are not particularly religious maybe never even been to church 
One article written before the pandemic said that usually people who come to Christ online are going through some kind of storm in their life. And that article named like divorce, loss of uh, job, financial crisis, personal relationship problems. And that same article said about 75% of people coming to Christ at that time online was going through some kind of storm. That was before the pandemic. Now we're in the midst of this pandemic and more people are coming to Christ online than ever before. Three of the biggest online evangelistic organizations are Global Media Outreach, uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and the Campus Crusade, for, Campus Crusade for Christ. The three of those together share the gospel with 200 million people a year. Since the pandemic, that number is up 170%. People are going through storms. There's the huge storm of the pandemic. Then there's the personal storms of sickness and financial difficulty and the loss of jobs and worry and lack of peace and so forth. The Billy Graham Association, when the coronavirus broke out, launched websites concerning answering questions about the Verona, uh, coronavirus. And they did so in seven languages. And this was for the purpose of sharing the gospel. In the first four weeks, 173,000 people heard the gospel. 10,000 clicked a button saying, Yes, I have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Christianity Today says about just this one global website, that is the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, Christianity Today says about them that now every day they're reaching as many people with the gospel as Billy Graham reached in one of his biggest campaigns. Think about that. Every day. And then another, the Campus Crusade for Christ reaches 56 million people a year. Last year they had 600,000 professions of faith. The way things are going now, they estimate that that number will be up 20 million. And the professions of faith will be up another 300,000. God is doing something wonderful in the midst of the tragedy and the heartache. Here is the vice president of, of, of um, Campus Crusade for Christ. His name is Mark Gunther. Mark says, and I quote now, this is one of the greatest moments in the history of the church for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. God uses storms. Not only that, LifeWays <clears throat> says the 
excuse me. The sale of Bibles is up 62%. Other organizations that sell Bibles and bookstores and so forth are saying the same thing. So mothers, fathers, youth, people of all ages are coming to Christ. It's exciting. It is a wonderful time in the midst of a tragic time. God uses storms. God can bring something good out of something bad. He can make beauty out of ashes. And so He is. Not only unbelievers coming to Christ, but many believers who have gotten away from the Lord have rededicated their lives according to these same groups and statistics. Because this storm is affecting everyone. It's affecting God's people. Those of us who know Christ have uh, times of stress and difficulty in what's going on in this great storm across our nation and around our world. The number one thing for us as believers, though, is this. Keep Jesus in first place. Make time for Him to be alone with Him and allow Him to truly be Lord of our life. Last week, I was listening to a message by Dr. David Jeremiah, and he shared this wonderful story. By the way, I think David Jeremiah is one of the great preachers of our day, if not the greatest. And I recommend all of his websites and uh, his, uh, all of his sermons and, and so forth. He had, by the way, he said he had on Easter 600 professions of faith. Now that's TV and internet and, and so forth and all around the world as his ministry spans the world. But he said it was the biggest number by far that he had ever had in the history of his ministry. Right here in the midst of the pandemic. But the story he told that I found so interesting, and we're thinking about putting Jesus first, was about Susanna Wesley. I know you've heard stories about her before. She's the mother of Charles and John Wesley. She had 19 children. Isn't that something? 19 children. Just try to imagine your, your, the house you live in right now with 19 children running around. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Nineteen children. And she said she wanted to spend time alone with God, but there was no place in her house where there was not a child. So she would go to the kitchen, pull a chair out, sit in that chair, take her apron, pull her apron up over her head, and there she would commune with God. Her children knew, they, though they were still moving around all around, that they knew, don't bother mom right now because she's communing with God. That was her sanctuary. That was her way to get alone with God. You may have to be creative, mothers and fathers and all of us, to get alone with God. Dr. Jeremiah commented then, he says, Jesus promises us strength and wisdom if we stay connected to Him. 
mothers, fathers, youth, seniors, all ages, we have to stay connected to Him to experience His peace and strength in the time of storms. Well, the disciples were going through, or about to go through, a great storm here in our passage. Go back to your text. Verse 17 says they entered into a ship and headed towards Capernaum. Let me show you that on the map right quick. If you look back at your map for a moment, here is the, the Holy Land. The square at the bottom is the Judea, the section called Judea during the time of Christ. Jerusalem is right in the middle. This top section is Galilee. The, in chapter 5, the events took place in Judea, there in that southern square. Uh, six months later, between chapter 5 and chapter 6, is six months passes. And uh, now Jesus is in that top section in Galilee. Now, if I, if I bring that top section up close, it looks like this. You have the Sea of Galilee. You see Nazareth and Cana and Capernaum and Tiberias. Now, right under Bethsaida, I'm going to put a circle there. This is where the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. So when the disciples start to sail, they're sailing towards Capernaum. So they're at the northern uh, part of, of the Sea of Galilee. Notice Tiberias down there because in a moment, we're gonna, at, at the end, we're going to see some people had come from Tiberias over to the place where Jesus fed the 5,000. So they crossed across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, from east to south, the Sea of Galilee is eight and a half miles, 13 miles north to south, east to west, eight and a half. So from that circle where, where the feeding of the 5,000 took place to Capernaum is about five, six miles, depending on the exact location, which we cannot be sure of, where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. So they get in their ship, and they've headed that way. Now let me remind you that this is miracle four and five in the seven miracles that John's going to tell us about. Jesus performed many, many, many hundreds of miracles. John only lists seven of them, and this is four and five. He lists them for two particular reasons. To display who he is, who Jesus is, his deity, that he is God, that he is in full control. There's nothing he cannot do. His miracles uh, bore testimony to that. And then bet between those two miracles... Uh, is two sermons on who he is. So you have the sermon, then you have two miracles, then you have the second sermon discussing who he is. And, and, but then lastly, secondly, to display his love and care for people. He loves us. He loves me. He loves you. He knows this, the storms we go through. The first, the, the first miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, shows his loving care for the everyday needs. We all have to eat. We need a roof over our head. And so forth. But that second miracle, he walks on the water to show his love and care in the time of storms. Life's full of storms. They're going to come to all of us. And we need to know that he loves us and that he cares for us. And that's what this miracle says, one of the purposes of it. Now we come back to verse 17. It says they're going to Capernaum. And it was now dark. And Jesus was not come to them. So they were alone, the twelve. By the way, they were professional fishermen, most of them, not all of them. But Peter was, and James and John, they were professional fishermen. They grew up right there on the Sea of Galilee. Their livelihood came from fishing and selling fish. 
And uh, they knew this lake better than anybody. And they knew how to navigate storms better than anyone. So I'm sure they were very confident when they set out for Capernaum that they would have no troubles, or at least nothing they could not handle. So verse 18 says, And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So they came into this storm. By the way, the, uh, Matthew and Mark tells the story as well of uh, Jesus walking on the water. Uh, remember, John has a tendency to tell things the other gospel writers didn't. And uh, even though he repeats a couple of miracles, and this is one of them. And, uh, and so we're told in the other two that Jesus compelled them. That is, he made them. It's a pretty strong word in the Greek. He forced them into the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. Did Jesus know that storm was coming? Absolutely. He's omniscient, meaning he knows everything. <laughs> He's omnipotent, meaning he has all power. And so he, he knew the storm was coming. Now, think about this. They were in God's will. They were in the path that the Lord Jesus had set them on, and still they ran into a storm. Sometimes people get the idea that if something doesn't go the way you want it to in life, God's mad at you because you did something wrong. That's not the case. Sometimes our own sin brings terrible consequences. Jonah is a good example of that. Jonah ran into a storm too. But Jonah's storm came about because Jonah was disobeying the Lord and going in the wrong direction. The disciples are obeying the Lord and going exactly where he said, and yet the storm still comes. God allows storms to come to build our character, to make us strong, to draw us close to Him, and so we'll see how much we need Him. So it was with these disciples. It was a learning experience. And so a great storm came. Verse 19, so when they had rowed about five and twenty, twenty-five or thirty furlongs, that's about three miles. So if you remember the map we looked at a moment ago, six miles, five or six miles across from the feeding of the 5,000 to Capernaum. So they're about halfway across, maybe slightly past halfway across. Uh, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Wow. They were in the dark. They were in a storm. The other two Gospels tell us they were, they were rowing with great difficulty. Now, this, when we think of a ship, we think of a pretty big vessel. This was a fishing boat, maybe 16, 20 feet long. Probably with the 12 apostles and disciples in there, it was uh, very crowded. And uh, they were rowing, and they were working hard. They were laboring, and they were afraid in the dark. In the storm, they were afraid. Even God's people are afraid sometimes. Some of you watching, maybe fear is, is bothering you and following you and won't seem to turn loose. They were afraid. And in the midst of this, Jesus comes walking on the water unto them. 
Then it says they were really afraid. <laughs> that word afraid at the last of that verse can be translated terrified. They were greatly afraid. They were exceedingly afraid. They were terrified. Not only were they in the dark, and not only were they in a storm, but now they see, and they don't know it's Jesus. They see somebody, and, they, and the other Gospels tell us they thought it was a ghost. Because it was walking on the water, and they couldn't see clearly. It was dark, and the waves were rolling and so forth, and Jesus comes to them. Now they're terrified. Verse 20 says, But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. If you'll listen closely and draw very near in the midst of your storm, you'll hear the Lord Jesus whisper, Here I am. Don't be afraid. You're not alone. I'm with you. Do not fear. So he speaks to them. Now, John tells us, I mean, uh, Matthew tells us that Peter, having heard this, said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to thee. And Jesus said, come. Now, John doesn't record this because it's not necessary for the point John is making. He's making the point of the Lord's deity and his love and concern. But Matthew tells us that when Jesus said to Peter, come, Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water also. And when he got to the, uh, to close to Jesus, he began to get his eyes off of Jesus and began to look around at this great storm and what's going on and he began to sink. Before he could drown, he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached down and pulled him out of the water. Sometimes as believers... We may be doing okay for a while in the midst of a storm and all of a sudden we're sinking because we get our eyes off of the Lord Jesus. So cry out to Him, Lord, save me, deliver me from my, uh, my worry and my fear and grant me your peace. John doesn't tell that side of things. But in verse 21 he says, Then they willingly received Him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. One scholar, many scholars, one scholar in particular I read said he sees four miracles here instead of just one. Jesus walked on the water. Peter walked on the water, though John doesn't tell that. The storm ended immediately. And then they were immediately at the place where they were going. Remember, five miles across three miles out they're about halfway there and they've been rowing for a long time now miracle over time and matter they're at the place of their location they willingly received him look at verse 21 again the word willingly Jesus never forces himself on anyone does he believer or non-believer he will not force a non-believer to get saved he will not force a believer to trust him for his peace. We have to be willing. They willingly received him into the boat, into their ship. I remember a time when I was a teenager, when I willingly welcomed Jesus into my little boat. And he came in and he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you may be in the dark. 
in the storm. And you need to welcome the Lord Jesus into your boat. I see two great comparisons here, two analogies, two illustrations from this miracle. One is illustrating a person who comes to Christ for salvation. This could be like all the people we just read some about and that are not particularly religious. You don't have to be religious and you can never be good enough. You just have to be willing to welcome him into your boat, into your heart. You might say, preacher, that sounds like you're stretching the illustration. I, I don't think so because John now tells us that when they get out of the boat, Jesus goes into his great sermon on the fact that he is the bread of life. And in the middle of that sermon, look over in, in uh, verse 20, uh, 47. Right in the middle of his sermon, he gives a gospel invitation. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Believe, put your faith in me, and you will have everlasting life. Then he makes that great statement, I am the bread of life. I'm the life giver. I'm the bread of life. Of life. And so I, I see in this miracle an analogy to a person who is without Christ, in the dark, in the storm, and they need to let Christ into their boat. If that's you, I hope you will let him into your boat today. Then the second analogy is this, that the disciples, of course, were already believers. And uh, they were going through a storm and doing the best they could in their own strength. They were rowing hard. They were using their expert knowledge and experience in, uh, in sailing the Sea of Galilee. And yet they were failing miserably. They were afraid. They were in the dark. But when they allowed Jesus to take control, then the storm ceased. You see, the storm around us causes a storm within us. Jesus will not always calm the storm around us, but He will calm the storm within us. When Jesus got on board, when He was back in charge, the storm stopped. Jesus said, My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. <laughs> he said in chapter 16, that was 14 of John. In 16 he says, um, In the world you shall have tribulation. That word tribulation means problems, troubles, storms. In the world you're going to have storms, but, but cheer up. I have overcome the world. He's the overcomer. He's big enough to take care of us in the midst of storms. And so those two great analogies coming from this miracle. Now, just quickly, I want to read the next three or four verses. Look at verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus was not with his disciples, or was, was not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone uh, away alone. 
So they noticed there had been no other boats. Jesus didn't go with them, but they can't find him. So how did Jesus, what happened to Jesus? Verse 23 says, How be it there came other boats from Tiberias. Remember I showed you where Tiberias was, and they had come across to that same location. Uh, So when... 23, how it be it when other boats came from Tiberias, nine to the place where they did eat bread. After that, the Lord had given thanks. When the people, therefore, saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping. Or that is, they got into their fishing boats and the boats that went across the Sea of Galilee constantly. And uh, they went across as well. Uh, verse 24 When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they went, they took a shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. What a scene this must have been, this great miracle. We've got a little two and a half minute clip uh, that I want you to watch. And it, it may have looked something like this. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and went back across the lake towards Capernaum. Night came on, and Jesus still had not come to them. By then, a strong wind was blowing and stirring up the water. had rolled about three or four miles when they saw Jesus walking on the water. Coming near the boat, and they were terrified. Don't be afraid. It is I. the crowd which had stayed on the other side of the lake realized that there had only been one boat there. They knew that Jesus had not gone in it with his disciples, but that they had left without him. Other boats, which were from Tiberias, came to shore near the place where the crowd had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into those boats and went to Capernaum, looking for him. What a scene. 
Remember, the Lord wants us to know that He loves us and cares for us in the midst of storms. Let me remind you mothers, along with all of us, to stay close to the Lord during this difficult time. And then I want to close with this. I want to encourage you mothers to keep praying for your loved ones. The uh, praying for your children. Maybe some of them are lost. Or maybe some of them are away from the Lord. And, and going through difficult times. I came across this past week a beautiful story again about a woman by the name of Monica. Monica had a son who grew up and lived in sin. He lived in Europe and he traveled around Europe drinking partying and uh, living immorally. That was his constant lifestyle. It broke the heart of his mother, Monica. And she prayed and prayed. Wherever he went, her prayers followed him. She prayed for him for 30 years. And then, at the age of 33... He was under such deep conviction, he went to a friend's house and stayed there. It says about him, he wanted to become a Christian, but he wasn't prepared to relinquish his immorality. We would say he was addicted to pornography. He was addicted to immorality. And he was in this great struggle. Finally, he picked up a Bible at this friend's house, opened it up, and it fell to the passage in Romans 13 that says, Behave properly in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, nor in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no, profession, no provision for the, to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he came to Christ. His mother had prayed for him 33 years. And now he was saved. He told his mother. And he would later write. Then we went to my mother and told her what happened. And to her great joy we explained to her how it occurred. And she leaped for joy. And leaped for triumph. And she blessed God and thanked God who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That man's name was Augustine. History remembers him as Augustine of Hippo. Or maybe even more so, Saint Augustine. He lived about three or four hundred years after the time of Christ. Sounded like a story from our day, didn't it? Because sin is still the same. People still have to willingly welcome Jesus into their boat. And Jesus is still saving and changing lives. And so he did this 33-year-old. Shortly after his salvation, his mother Monica died. On her deathbed, she proclaimed that her life's work was over, but her son's Life's work was only beginning. And she was right. He published thousands of written works 
included 242 books and became what history knows him as one of our founding fathers of the Christian faith because the mother kept on praying and didn't give up. Let me encourage you mothers, keep praying. Maybe you're one of the prodigals. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you have, but you've gotten away from Him. I want to invite you to welcome Him into your boat. And to make Him Lord of your life. If you're a Christian, Lord of your life again. Let Him give His peace. His strength. Even His joy unto you. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you've never willingly welcomed Him into your boat, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you really mean it, the promise is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not maybe, not perhaps. It's a promise. Shall be saved. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you want to welcome Him into your boat, then bow with me right now and pray with me these, these words. And mean them from your heart. Say, dear Lord Jesus. That's right, he's listening. Dear Lord Jesus. I am a sinner. I have sinned. And I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me. And rose again from the dead. And right now. I willingly. Welcome you into my life into my heart, into my boat. I call on you to be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. And give me eternal life. Thank you for coming in like you promised you would do. Now if you prayed that prayer with me, claim the promise. He said... If you believe, you have eternal life. If you call, you shall be saved. Claim that promise. And then we'd like to know about it. You can, uh, you can uh, mail us something in the mail. At this point, of course, you, ha you have to mail something. Or you can, you can uh, fill in uh, some information on the guest card on our uh, Facebook page. Or you can call the church here and live a message at the church and we'll get back to you. We'd like to help you and give you some literature to get you started. And to help you along the way. And for those who have rededicated their lives. I pray too you would let us know. So we can rejoice with you.